Welcome to the Making Jobs Podcast, where we talk about car repair, business ownership, and everything in between. I'm your host, Matt Hernandez, founder and owner of Matt's Mobile Mechanics. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Schultz, with Witness Security. So without further ado, let's get the show on the road. And we're back. Hey, and we're also recording. Finally. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, Finally back, because Matt never would come into town. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's my fault. And then also someone was like in Bartlesville or Colorado every other week or something like that. Bartlesville, Colorado, uh, McAllister. And then when you came back from Colorado, you brought the weather with you. So it was, you know. Well, that one was definitely you. I could have made it in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could have too, but, um, it was, uh, it, I had a lot with the freezing weather. It brought a lot of extra chores for me at the farm. Like what normally would take me 30 minutes to do in the morning would take me over two hours. We don't want to hear what you do with your wife. <clears throat> well, yeah. I mean, you got to stay warm somehow. <laughs> so freezing and then temperatures. We, we had, today we have a co- co-host a co-co-host a, a co-co. co-co a co-co host you got cocoa puffs over there no, no. uh with us is uh you, you need to get closer to that mic that's what matt always tells me yeah yeah now tyler's on it <laughs> get, closer, get closer um uh the uh, uh the the person hanging out with us is uh robert roberto also known as robbie the robster and Ro- Robosaurus Rex. And I have an assortment of nicknames. <laughs> yeah, Robosaurus Rex as well. <clears throat> um, he's a uh, well, you're you're a HVAC journeyman or apprentice. 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 Yeah. HVAC. Not, not a journeyman yet. He's on the journey to journeymanship. He's yeah, apprenticing. Uh, so he's in the skilled trades. Um, also, we've known him for like forever. Um, I mean, not for when he was a wee boy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's he hasn't really grown much, anyways. I mean, he's grown out, just hasn't really grown up. Especially after he got married, he uh, he grew out a little bit. Yeah, that happens. <clears throat> that happens. I didn't have to grow out. Yeah, actually, you lost you, weight after you got you married because <laughs> I wasn't eating as much fast food. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because I didn't I didn't get to make it to your wedding and I saw the wedding photos and I hadn't seen you in a, probably a couple of years. But since then I have put on a little bit more. Yeah, but still not as much as your, your <coughs> wedding photos because I I remember being astounded when I saw your wedding pictures. Um uh like I I like legitimately like uh like I I physically reacted. I went, "What?" <laughs> I actually immediately called your brother. Um and and I was like, "Hey, did you know Tyler got like really fat? And he's, <laughs> he's like, Gee, thanks guys. <laughs> well, cause he was, he was living on the East coast as well. And so he, he hadn't seen you in a little bit. Um, and he's like, Oh yeah, no, I've seen, I've seen, I was like, Oh, it was just, it was a little shocking. Cause I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen like you or a picture of you in like probably two plus years at the time, but you've lost weight since then. Yeah. For, like for sure. I'm 245 now. Nice. Well, you also grew a beard, so maybe that helps too. <clears throat> yeah, beards are made beards the, are very made the manly look. Yeah. Um, speaking of beards, I don't know if I've ever mentioned before on the podcast, but I don't trust. Like, I have a difficult time trusting people, trusting men without facial hair. I was about to say, 
if you're gonna say anything there. about a beard, you're not. You don't have a beard. No. Uh, so if you don't, no. if you have a hard time trusting people with beards, that ain't gonna work. No, I, I, have, a, I have a tough trust time yourself. trusting. Yeah, I, have one. I have a tough time trusting men without facial hair at all. Why is that? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like I, I look at, I'm like, what are you? Like, what are we? What are we doing here? Like, why are we? Are we going? To, why are we? Why are you going to war every single morning with your facial hair? Like it seems, like that'd be like if someone got a haircut every day, right? But maybe that's what it is—the mentality behind it is like, what are you doing? Like, why are we trying to? Now there are some people <clears throat> that, when it comes to facial hair, they they just look lazy because they don't do anything to mm-hmm. make it look like it's supposed to be there. Yeah, like. It's just scraggly and nasty, and which is okay if you're only five hairs on this side and ten hairs on that. Which is side. okay if you live in the mountains, like if you're a mountain man. That's <laughs> yeah. understandable. Kind of and like you're talking uh, about me, Tyler. <laughs> no, yours looks good. There's, I wish I could grow a beard like that. <laughs> there's obviously situations where I am okay with people who don't have facial hair, and that is like if you're in the military or in law enforcement, and your job requires that of you. Okay, um, then. Like, basically, if I meet someone, and they're clean-shaven, and they tell, like, there's got to be a, there better be a reason behind it. I want to know the, I want to know the excuse. Like, why are you, why are you suppressing your manliness? And, uh, I mean, it'd be, I don't know. Is it like if I met a dude who shaved his legs? I'd want to figure out why. The dude that ran into the tree in that video that we just saw. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He was pretty shiny on top. Yeah. And he was an officer, but, uh. His manliness. I mean, well, again, to take out a complete, again, full-on tree. That's like, a man. Yeah, again, law enforcement. I, big man. I am okay with law enforcement. You know, because if their job requires that of them, um, I mean, not, again, even if someone, even if someone doesn't have an excuse, like job-wise, I, I'll, I'll eventually trust them. I'm just immediately, like at first, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know about you, guy, and then. After I get to know them, I'm like, okay, all right, we someone's, can. Someone's phone's got sound. <clears throat> yeah, that would that would be the Sorry. amateur over here. Sorry, guys. Amateur <laughs> hour. So. Uh, <laughs> so anyhow, last time we were on the podcast, we uh, talked about how Biden basically had and or Trump had not it had not been decided yet. Yeah. Now it's been decided. Yeah, well, sort of. <clears throat> I mean, well, legitimately it, or not, um, the uh, Biden, Biden has taken the White House. Um, so by force, yeah, Democratic force. <clears throat> so it's but been by- a while, and since it's been a while, there's like a ton of things to unpack. So like part partly of a reason why it's been a while is this this year has been like you know 2020 version two, um, and so it's been it's been chaos one way or another. Um, and then, uh, I mean, so much has happened. So, obviously, we've got Biden in office. We've got more executive orders than we've ever had before. Um, we have... It's just amazing how fast <coughs> and how many he did. <coughs> yeah. In one day. He he did 19 in one day. hmm Yeah. He has done... Yeah. What Trump did, his average per year, was 55 executive orders. Biden has done 53 the last time I looked. Yeah, he did like 50 in like a week. 
or nearing 50 in a week, yeah. the first week in office. He is two <clears throat> away from Trump's average. Yeah. He will definitely, by far, do more executive orders than any other president in U.S. Yeah. history. So we have that going on, obviously. Um, we have, uh, we have, like, many crises. Is, is, is crises? 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 That's the plural. We have many crises occurring um, between um, strange things happen politically, um, as well as we've got the big freeze that hit the Midwest and the South really hard. And then we've got, like, um, that another thing that doesn't get a lot of spotlight attention is the agricultural market. Um, and again, like I've been, I've been chicken little about this since last year saying that things are going to get weird, um, in, in our beef markets, um, because of, because of what happened last year with the major calling of, of beef herds. But then on top of that, we have this strange, um, occurrence where we have this compounding factor with the rising price of grains and corns. Um, and then this big freeze that probably didn't do, it didn't, I know it didn't do any farmers any favors. Um, and then uh, we also have a feed shortage, a localized feed shortage going on um, in all the areas that were hit by this, uh, by this weather. And then the increasing price in feed. So don't be surprised if next year um, or later on this year, your beef prices have gone up substantially because we, A, um, <clears throat> have a shortage in the market because of the major calling of beef herds, and B, um, we have increase in feed costs and increase in feed, and the majority, the vast majority of your beef purchased at a, at a grocery store, they're feeding in feedlots, and that's their primary, you know, means of, of weight gain is through feed. And so, like, because they're not, they're not finishing on grass, they're finishing on grains, and grain costs have gone up substantially. So I've talked to three different feed store owners, um, and each of them told me their prices are going up. One of them gave me a specific, said basically $1.50 a bag, per 50-pound bag, of all of his feeds across the board, are go it's going up $1.50. That doesn't sound like much, but if you think about, you know, larger cattle operations that are, you know, buying feed by like a thousand pounds, you know, you're buying a thousand pounds of feed, um, and that's not even a giant cattle operation. Bah. Wow. I didn't, I didn't get to the mic in time. <laughs> Gesundheit. I, I didn't have much time, <laughs> but I definitely didn't want to snot all over this. Uh, well, mic. I wasn't a hundred percent certain what you were going, like I, I couldn't tell if you were gasping well, I, and all. I was going to shoot that direction. But I didn't want to yank the mic. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure it was happening, so like I didn't get to the didn't yeah. get to the volume in time. <clears throat> Anyhow, sorry about my trumpet, guys. <laughs> so, um, but yes, yeah, so say you buy a thousand thousand pounds of feed. Um, that is uh, what 40, 40 bags. Um, multiply that by a dollar fifty, and you're looking at three hundred. Is that three hundred dollars? No, uh, six hundred dollars. Uh, you're looking at six hundred dollars um, per thousand pounds. That's that it's going up. You know, a dollar fifty times forty. Um, that's six hundred, right? Should be. Rob, Robbie's checking my math, or is he? Can't even find his calculator. I got too many calculators. Oh well. 
a couple of those calculators probably got his uh, oh important photos of his wife and bucks. him. Sixty bucks. Okay, so sixty bucks per thousand. Oh wait, is that correct? Hang on, let me. One of those calculators is, has his secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's not no comment. <laughs> <clears throat> so that's thirty bucks per thousand. No comment means yes. So, um, so let's walk through the math here real quick. So, um, typical head of cattle eat. You know, if they're if they're eating primarily an only feed, they might eat five pounds a day. Um, Is that similar to OnlyFans? Um, <laughs> So, all, man. <laughs> so 200 so a herd of 200 head of cattle will will increase the like their feed cost will increase by $30 a day um, and cattle take two years to grow out now granted they won't be eating at that high rate of feed all the way through the entirety of their grow out period well, hopefully but, not yeah but at your feed you know in your feed lots it's costing an additional $30 per day um, which translates to a lot of, and that's per 200 head. Um, so, you know, on a thousand head of cattle, um, that is $150 a day increase. So $1.50 doesn't seem like much, but it is an increase nonetheless. Um, and there's a couple ways that the market's going to handle it. Um, either we will see a larger shift of direct-to-consumer uh, farming, and so your farmers will be doing less um, less selling to large meat processors because they will see uh, they will see too little value because they won't be able to because they they don't control the cost the meat processor does or the or the distributor does. It's going to shift more to vegetarians. <clears throat> um, yeah, <laughs> so you get that, um, or or you know farms are going to take take a, a pretty big beating. And also we have a Democrat in office, and typically speaking. Um, your, your, your Democrats don't as heavily support agriculture, so there'll be less USDA, um, subsidies. So with less USDA subsidies means that, um, means that, because typically the market can be somewhat buffeted and protected if you have, um, what's, what would be called like, a you know, your subsidies, right? Your subsidized, uh, farming. So if the market takes like a real bad hit, beef prices plummet, but cost of operation is the same or increases, then the USDA might kind of help fill in the gaps there. So say you normally would make a hundred dollars a head per cattle, um, you know, in profit, but then you're only making like 40 because of plummeting beef prices. The government may step in and chip in basically $30. So your, your loss is only down, you know, 30% and not 60%. Now, when you don't have the support, you don't have agricultural support by, from the federal government, which my personal opinion is we should, you know, I, I don't think that we should be subsidizing uh, farming. And, and it's not like I, I know why we do. It's because as a society, we would crumble to pieces if we didn't. Um, however, I think that we need to get away from this model where we're completely reliant upon big farm um, your, your, your industrialized, uh, commercialized, uh, uh, large scale farming processes. Um, however, <clears throat> um, what happens when you don't have those subsidies is either farmers go out of business or, um, prices go up, the, uh, the, the meat prices go up. That's just the only two ways about it. Um, so <clears throat> 
plus we do have a feed shortage. That's another fun thing too. I saw something um, funny. It says, uh, I used to sell security alarms door to door and I was really good at it. If no one was home, I would just leave a brochure on the kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sales tactic I didn't even think about using. Hmm. That's a good one. Robert, what are you doing? Yeah. You can come work for me. I can have <laughs> yeah. you sell door to door. There's yeah. a lot of homes back in here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, the tricky thing is around here is people actually lock their doors most of the time <clears throat> in this neighborhood. <laughs> um, hey, so another news. Um, uh, what else? Uh, so uh, re recent development. Have you seen or gotten an email from the uh, Small Business Administration? I have not. You're not I on that. Been no, also not on your your. Uh, it's not your department. I haven't either. <clears throat> okay, so the Small Business Administration just emailed um, uh, basically any business who applied for or received the economic injury disaster loan, plus the advance, the grant. So remember way back when in the CARES Act, where every single small business was supposed to receive up to ten thousand um, dollars in you know in in a, a, basically a grant. You weren't required to pay that back. And then the SBA criminally put some arbitrary rules on it and just decided that they're going to not give that um, out and only give $1,000 per employee. Well, the SBA has just sent out an email saying that <clears throat> um, there is, it's called a targeted, um, hang on, let me pull this up real quick so I don't botch the, uh, botch the, the words here. Uh, targeted... Uh, targeted EIDL advance application. So the targeted economic injury disaster loan advance, uh, also known as basically your $10,000 grant that was supposed to be given out, mm -hmm. they're now going to basically, whatever you didn't receive, so say you got you know $2,000 instead of $10,000, they'll then do $8,000 if you meet the following criteria. So <clears throat> it's a step in the right direction, but it's still not... Still not, like, they didn't follow the CARES Act. The CARES Act didn't say $1,000 per employee. It said businesses may request up to $10,000. And then the EIDL application for in the portion of the advance just said, would you like to receive an advance, yes or no, <clears throat> didn't give an amount that you could request. And they just arbitrarily said, you know, well, let's do $1,000 per employee. Um, which again, like that's not very beneficial to a lot of businesses because you could have a business that has some pretty um, exorbitant operating costs because of the nature of business, but only has three employees, and three thousand dollars, you know, might not might not cut it for you know even a month's operation. Um, so here's the criteria for those of you following along at home that. Um, that have, if you haven't received this email or you are, you know, or, or you're, you're looking into this or you didn't receive the EIDL advance um, and you're, and, which this came out of nowhere. Like there's no news on it that I saw. I didn't hear of anything involving this, but uh, the, the three criteria that are required is, is businesses eligible for the targeted EIDL advance must meet all of the following eligibility criteria, not just one of these three, but all three. Um, so I'm going to skip the first one and circle back to that. Cause that's the one that I think is the weirdest. The, <clears throat> uh, one of the requirements is you must have suffered an economic loss greater than 30% as demonstrated by an eight week period beginning on March 2nd, 2020 or later. Uh, 
uh, compared to the previous year. That's reasonable, right? Um, if we're going to give out these advances or these grants, you would expect that a business, you know, saw a downturn. <coughs> so if a business did well during the pandemic, they probably don't need the advance, right? Um, right. Okay. So a 30% decrease in, uh, you know, economic loss is demonstrated by an eight-week period. Okay. All right. Um, two, two months, you see a 30% decrease in sales as, uh, you know, in comparison to prior year. <coughs> that makes sense. Must have 300 or fewer employees. That's another, that's the, that's a... I think we qualify. Yeah. That makes sense, too, because <laughs> that would be a small business, right? Instead of, you know, because Amazon doesn't need this, right? Um, uh, you know, they're doing fine. Okay. <clears throat> so we have, we have those two. What's that third one? The third one is, the third requirement is, the business must be, the business address must be located in a low-income community, as defined in Section 45DE of the Internal Revenue Code. SB, the Small Business Administration will map your business property address to determine if you are in a low-income community when you submit your targeted EIDL advance application. Okay? So that one makes absolutely no sense to me, Right? So here's what makes sense. It makes sense that you suffered an economic loss greater than 30%. That makes sense. Must have 300 or fewer employees. Okay, that makes you a small business. That makes sense. But why does the business have to be located in a low-income community? <clears throat> What's that? Who's that? I think it's one of my texts. Oh. <clears throat> Let me pause for one moment. Okay, we're back for a brief interruption. So, why, why a business would be required to be located in a low-income community makes absolutely no sense to me. Like, why is that what's targeted for the, the grant, the, the additional grant to compensate for the lack of, you know, $10,000 from prior? So, whatever, whatever makes up the difference, if you receive $2,000, you'll get $8,000. If you only receive $1,000, you'll get $9,000. Why does it have to be located in a low-income community the business like what also think about this it may not be the small business owner may be a low income like might fall under the classification of a low income family right mm -hmm. but have its business location in a higher income community because if you're a halfway smart business uh, person dependent upon like the type of business you own so let's say for instance a hair salon okay sure you may live in north tulsa and you decide you want to open up a hair salon. <clears throat> Where do you think you're going to make more money on a hair salon? Do you think you're going to make that money in Turley? Or do you think you're going to make that money in Tulsa Hills? Tulsa you know, Hills, by far. You're, by going, far. To go, you're going to go to a, a higher income community because you may be low income, but you, know, you may be living in a low income area because it's cost effective. <clears throat> but you want to make your money where people will spend more money, Right. Mm -hmm. So you could have a business owner whose registered business address may be in Tulsa Hills, but they might live in North Tulsa, and they may, they may also only make, like, you know, clear, like, $20,000 a year or less um, after, you know, after paying the, the expense, you know, the expense of owning that or uh, renting that retail establishment and things along those lines, right? So particularly problematic in this, in this little SBA nonsense is the aspect of like would it be particularly problematic for industries involving retail or retail locations 
because a lot of times the, lo- the registered business address is not where the person lives or resides, right? Um, and, and where the business is conducted may, and that's another thing too, it could be problematic for service industries, okay? Um, so a service industry that is house calls may have a business location, um, their registered business location may be in a higher income area, but it may service low income communities, mm-hmm. right? So for instance, you guys, you guys, let's say you had an office in South Tulsa, you wouldn't qualify because you wouldn't be in a low income community, but you service low income communities, so who, what's, right. the, what's the purpose of this? So it's 31st and Garnett. <clears throat> it is. I looked it up. You guys are, you guys are in. All right. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> you guys, uh, so I looked, up the, um, I looked up the definitions for the IRS uh, Section 45D. Maximum uh, Mechanics operates out of Chicago, which that's a low-income community. Well, but technically my business, uh, my registered business address is in East Tulsa. Um, so... Because, and, and so it's questionable. So, well, I mean, your parent, or is it your grandparents? Yeah, but it's a different census tract than here. And I looked at it, it's like right teetering on the Hard. edge of the definition. Move your business address. Well, kind of late for that because um, they, you know, they've got, uh, they've kind of got my, um, they've kind of got my info. <clears throat> so, um, so the definition and of what the IRS basically outlines as a low-income community is based off of a census tract. Um, and your census tract is not even, I thought, you know, maybe it might be a zip code. It's not. They're, um, basically, when it comes to a census map, you have a grid pattern across a, a metropolitan area. So more like zones. Yeah, so, so, um, the, so a census tract, if you look at the census tract median income, the median household income of the particular area in question um, must be less than 80% of the average median income for the city or the uh, metropolitan area or even the state. So let's say, you know, the median income for the city is 100000 a year. The median household income is $100,000 a year, which is not even close to the case here in, in Tulsa. It's like $55,000 a year. But for sake of ease of numbers, $100,000 a year in your census tract, if your census tract, the area you're in, the average household income is $74,000 a year. Well, that's 74% of the median income for the city. So you would quali- it would qualify you as a low-income community. <clears throat> so that's basically the gist, the paraphrasing. If anyone wants to look up that um, IRS um, code uh, that, that defines what is a low-income community, that code is uh, IRS 45D, as in Delta, uh, parentheses E as in Echo. So 45 Delta Echo, Internal Revenue Code outlines the um, specific requirements to be considered a low-income community. <clears throat> so that's the requirement that would, uh, that would allow, um, and most businesses could pretty easily, as most small businesses could pretty easily have show, because in general, a lot of businesses, even businesses that turned out okay and did well during the pandemic, still in, more likely than not saw a 30% loss in revenue over an eight-week period at any given period of time in 2020. So that one's an easy check mark to make. Must have 300 and fewer employees. Well, obviously, if you're a small business, you meet that criteria. But low-income community, 
that's where to me it seems extremely weird like who is what are we trying to accomplish here in the small business administration are we trying to particularly benefit low-income communities and boost up the small businesses in those communities to help economically recover from this pandemic and if that's the case sure it might meet that it might it might make that work but then you may have you may have a business that services these low-income communities takes care of these low-income communities in some way fashion or form but is located in a not low-income community. For instance, uh, let's say a plumbing company. I guarantee you Mullen Plumbing makes calls up into North Tulsa. Oh, yeah. But I know exactly where Mullen Plumbing's uh, headquarters is at, and it's not in a low-income community. Um, now, granted, Mullen Plumbing is probably doing fine. But um, but my, my point is, is if you're trying to help low-income communities with this, um, with basically basically, honestly, something that should have been done in the first place, which is, uh, you know, the SBA should have honored the CARES Act and provided small businesses who applied for a $10,000 grant. That's what they should have done. Um, but they didn't. And now they're kind of backpedaling. And I honestly think that it probably, I have no idea where this is coming from, came way out of left field. I didn't see this coming. I fit, kind of figured that like a class action lawsuit would have prompted something along these lines, but I haven't heard anything of it. So I don't know. To me, that's just the whole thing just seems extremely weird. Like, why would we have, like, why would that be a criteria for this targeted? Because again, it doesn't, a low income community, a business location or address being located in a, in a low income community doesn't necessarily indicate whether or not a business is you know, low income or even hurting for that matter. Um, I mean, honestly, you, I mean, you could have a business that does well. And for, for instance, you know what does really well in low income communities? Cash advance places, check, check cashing places like that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The payday loan places. Yeah. They do yep. very well in low income communities and they, their business addresses would reside in low income communities. But guess what probably, guess what they probably did, you know, during the pandemic? They, they probably did fine. They may have seen. Well, they also like so we don't qualify for the loan due to the or the SBA thing, due to the fact that we didn't have any down months. Uh, you, I guarantee you, if you look through your books in 2020 over we're, an eight-week period, there's probably a 30% decrease from from 2019. We already did. You did. Yeah. No. Oh. Okay. Uh, we because our tax <clears throat> guy already told us. Oh. Uh, I just talked to him. Oh, okay. Uh, and he said we didn't have a uh, uh, even a twenty percent decrease. Oh, okay. Well, which is good. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, good. good. And again, you know, but, if you didn't, if a business didn't see a downturn, that's fine. But also, here's the thing about check cashing places. Like, but what's his name? Uh, Tampa Bay Buc- Buccaneers uh, quarterback. Dead gummy. I don't name. know. Tom Brady. Okay. Uh, he. I didn't know he's a, with he, the Buccaneers these days. Yeah. He mm. he and Grant switched, mm. uh, but he has a sports um, store, mm-hmm. and uh, he took a I want to say thirty something, or maybe it was it was a stupid number, millions of dollars loan uh, through the SBA thing. Uh huh. Tyler forgot wow. how to forgot how um, to started and, drooling randomly. But, <laughs> he just uh, had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he got 
a massive loan through the SBA thing. How yeah. he qualifies, being the fact that the amount of money he brings in on a regular basis. That's the business, though, is the question. Right. And, that, and that's the thing is, like, I, I understand their attempt to target specifically to give, to give this, uh, this advance to businesses that need it. But there's smarter ways to come up with a criteria to do it because it, realistically, that located in a low-income community criteria could be nixed altogether. Mm-hmm. Because with the suffered an economic loss greater than thirty percent and have less than three hundred employees, that meets a makes you a small business and you lost you know thirty percent in revenue. That's which could be substantial, especially for some businesses who operate on thin profit margins. That could legitimately make or break you. A thirty percent downturn over two months. 30% may be the entirety of your profit margin. And in some cases, you may operate on There's a 10% a lot of profit margin. Though, that even that 30% downturn, if they see that, if uh, coming into number three month, Mm-hmm. They're already sitting there going, hmm, I think we might be shutting our doors. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of businesses that operate on a 10% profit margin. And if you yeah. operate on 10% profit margin over the course of two months, you see a 30% decrease in, in profits. You you may, you know, I mean, you're already in the hole two months by, you know, 20% a month. We average markup <clears throat> uh, about 40%. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything we sell is about 40%. Up, <clears throat> yeah, it's not a lot, and that doesn't even represent but, exactly your profit margin I mean, because you have operating costs. Your competitors that you work with, mm-hmm. what is their markup on their product? Anywhere between forty percent to a hundred percent. But also, that you know that doesn't even accurately rec- um, like reflect your profit margin because even on a forty percent markup, your profit margin still may only be you know ten twenty percent based on your overall like operating costs talking, and your profits coming in. I was talking to a guy yesterday. He said uh, that he <coughs> took his car in to get a tune up, mm-hmm. and it was going to cost him twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, and I was, was like, owner Mercedes. <laughs> I don't know where what you have, but uh, that sounds really expensive. He goes, I know. Well, the problem I, is... And then is, I said, so did you leave it with him? He goes, yeah, I didn't have another option. Well, the problem is, is he, uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> he, said, he said he needed a tune-up. Cars don't do... Like, so when a, when a mechanic shop these days on modern vehicles here, I need a tune-up, they hear, you want to write me a blank check. Because there is no, there is like back in the day, there used to be what would be called the tune-up, and that would be you know change change the oil, change your fluids, change the spark plugs, change the uh, maybe change the spark plug wires, tune up the carburetor. Well, none of that really is a like. There, most cars don't have spark plug wires. Most cars don't have or the major, almost no cars have carburetors these days, and so a tune-up these days. Following the old definition of a tune-up, really the only component involved in that is changing spark plugs nowadays and the fluids. So when people hear tune-up, like that means that the customer has no idea what the car needs, and you can just come up with a list of things to do, and it you will typically involve changing every single fluid, changing all of the spark plugs, and maybe even the you know turn the turn signal fluids, the blinker fluids as well. <coughs> and that could be that one's important. Yeah. You well, also you're gonna have to add the muffler bearings. Yes, you got to get the muffler bearings changed at it least. It actually did take me a second to get that one. <laughs> <laughs> you got to change. You got to change muffler bearings at least every fifteen thousand miles. Funny thing, yesterday Rocky uh, he comes out to our uh, job, and we have a new guy on, on the job, and uh, I mean he is green. He was actually the guy. Uh, you guys talked to a second ago, and he looked kind of pinkish to me. 
he he is very green to our field. <clears throat> okay. Anyways, he uh, he's on the left and he's been pulling wire, and what the wire that uh, he was getting ready, we we're, were getting ready to go for a run of wire. It was about uh, eighty ninety feet, mm-hmm. and the box of wire only had seventy, and he's like. Rocky says to him, he's like, hey, uh, go to the truck and grab the wire stretchers. <laughs> and so he starts getting down out of the lift and running to the truck. And Robert, Rocky, and I just start dying laughing. You know what's kind of funny? at that point, he's like, he turns around and looks at us like, there isn't a wire stretcher, is there? <laughs> you know what's kind of funny is there is such a thing as a wire stretcher, and I own two of them. So um, if you're doing barbed wire fence. Well, yeah. You 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 stretch the barbed wire, and you have this ratcheting machine or you know mechanism that will stretch the barbed wire. You don't want to put that kind of tension <laughs> no. on my wires. No, but I'm saying. It. Matter of fact, Keith gets really irritated uh, whenever he does come to a job, and he's like getting into an attic or whatever, and the wire you can just hit there, and touch the wire, and go thong. Yeah, that bothers Keith. He's like, whoever this installer was wasn't paying attention and he just pulled yeah. it as tight as he possibly could didn't have enough wire yeah so um so yeah to me it, it makes absolutely no sense if the sba is trying to fix like the only criteria that to me makes sense of these three would be you know suffered an economic loss greater than 30 percent and must have 300 or fewer employees i promise you the reason why that they included that located in low-income community nonsense was because they know they don't have enough funds to cover every well, business that lost 30%. It's 100% pander. It is. They it's, pander to... It's a political move. The the low income. Yeah. Because, again, in four years, who do they want to vote for them? Well, and here's another thing, too, is that doesn't even necessarily mean... Because you could, you know, you could have a business located <laughs> in a low-income community, and you could make tons of money. You could be rich and live in South Tulsa. You could have a check-cashing place... Up in North Tulsa, live in you know Bixby or whatever, in a in a in a six hundred thousand dollar, or live in Midtown on one of those McManny uh, McMansions with the you know you talk like one point two million dollar mansions in Midtown um, that it, and you could live there. You'll live in a community that technically isn't low income, but your business is. And let's say you t- you could show a thirty percent decrease in profit. Let's say instead of making a million dollars last year, you made seven hundred thousand dollars. You're still made seven hundred thousand dollars, but guess what? You saw a thirty percent downturn, and so, you know. But let's say you only have three employees working that check cashing place, and you only got three thousand dollars. You saw a thirty percent downturn. You're a millionaire living in Midtown, and then you know. So in, so the SBA is going to send you a seven thousand dollar check, or really a direct deposit. But my 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 point is is that that low income community nonsense doesn't necessarily target. Um, the low income, accurate. yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't actually target or benefit low income businesses or low income business owners even because like you'd think that a 30% decrease in profits would be enough because it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you're in North now, Tulsa or South Tulsa, a 30% loss in revenue is still 30% loss. It accurately depicts for like restaurants <clears throat> that are in those low income areas. Uh, because they did, the restaurants did take a serious hit. Yeah, they took a huge hit. Um, but it doesn't, doesn't do anything for 
the the big companies like um let's see interstate steel that's going to be in a low income neighborhood uh-huh. and i guarantee you they did not take a hit yeah but that's no. the thing is that's where the 30% decrease in cri- you know in in revenue criteria matter of fact, covers we that had serious builds go on this past year yeah well so and that's i guarantee you that my point is that that one suffered economic loss greater than 30% that criteria alone is enough to weed out the businesses who didn't take a hit, right? Uh, in right. fact, like for instance, you guys, um, you guys didn't didn't take a hit. You're in a low income community, so you wouldn't qualify. Okay, why why the low income community? Like again, you could you could have someone who's rich, who makes plenty of money and has a business with you know fewer than three hundred employees that didn't receive the full ten thousand dollars, but operates in a low income community. <sighs> And they're going to get the they're gonna they're going to get a benefit that some businesses who took the same type of hit because thirty percent is thirty percent. It doesn't matter where you're located, exactly. whether you're in South Tulsa, Bixby, um, you know Tulsa Hills, North Tulsa, wherever you're at, a thirty percent decrease in revenue is still a thirty percent decrease in revenue. Mm-hmm. So why not let that be the criteria instead of this low income community nonsense? Exactly. And they're also going based off of the, um, you know, the IRS Revenue Code, the 45DE of the Internal Revenue Code. Now, here's the thing about that. That data may be inaccurate because you know where that data comes from? The criteria for defining that? That comes from the Census Bureau. Uh-huh. So, you know, you know how the Census Bureau works. They go door to door and they ask people to, you know, fill out a questionnaire. And, and if you don't answer, then they put it on your kitchen table. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you don't, you know, if you don't answer this, you know, if you don't answer the questions, then that data doesn't get accurately represented. Now, we did have a census in 2020, so it's going to be relatively uh, recent information. However, it doesn't necessarily make it accurate. You might sure. have, you know, you might have someone who's embarrassed about their income, and instead of saying they make only fifteen thousand dollars a year, they might say, "Well, I make forty thousand dollars a year." That doesn't fare well. No, I mean that doesn't that. Well, that doesn't carry over to the IRS. No, it, it doesn't. doesn't it doesn't. That's just the you know that's just you know Census Bureau information. So it's who who says that's statistically accurate at all? So you may live in a in a in a and again, this 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 could be completely avoided if this criteria didn't even exist. If this criteria was not there. It, and if you want to, if if you want to uh, focus primarily on low-income community businesses, then maybe have a separate, um, maybe have a separate uh, program available for that, um, and then just you know allow this grant uh, in the CARES Act as it should be to go through to any small business who applies. And if you're really concerned about people who you know, are taking it that don't deserve it, then throw in that criteria of you know receiving an economic loss greater than thirty percent. Over a period of you know eight weeks, um, uh, you know, in comparison to your cool previous thing years, is, if you uh, have a side gig <clears throat> like driving Uber and Lyft, uh, you can also apply for the PPP. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They recently, um, uh, Supreme Court didn't they rule that uh, Uber drivers are uh, not independent contractors and that they are in fact employees? No, no. I think I heard that. No, cause, well. Reason being is, uh, <coughs> if so, then Uber said that Uber and Lyft both said that they would close up shop. 
Well, I mean, I mean, the the as far as the SBA program goes, it would still be applicable because during that time period, you would you you know anyone would have been paid or considered an independent contractor. But as far as going forward, I think there was a ruling. I mean, that's I think that's why Uber stocks weren't doing so well um, because of that because of that ruling. But anyhow, moving on to other news. Uh, speaking of stocks, uh, let's talk about stocks here <laughs> in a little bit. Uh, right after we take a break and hear a word from our sponsors. Welcome back, folks. All right, so we don't have a lot of time here, but I did want to briefly uh, touch on the stock market that has been as crazy as it has been. Um, And it's primarily the whole GameStop thing, which I think people understand. Um, Like, I think a lot of people have figured out now what on earth is going on, which they're at $1.53 a share right now pre-market. So yesterday, um, and, and this is, and who knows, by the time this comes out, it'll, this, this uh, podcast is going to release like at, at market open, so who knows what the price is going to be by then. But I do know that yesterday um, it opened at $44 a share. And this is after it had already skyrocketed at some point, hitting a high of $480 and then plummeting down to about $38 or so a share or 37 or something like that. Where it seemed to find the um, <clears throat> seemed to find the bottom, and then would you know bounce back and forth around forty something a share. Um, and what's going on is this, uh, you know, you've got a lot of attention, you've got a lot of retail investors getting in, and I think now that it's heading back up again, there's going to be a whole bunch of people jump in for fear of missing out, and it's going to drive the price back up again. Um, I feel the obligatory "this is not financial advice" statement um, is you, is needs to be inserted here. But there, what's what's going on is is a lot. There's there's a lot going on involving it um, and and the hedge funds that shorted this. And to be honest with you, I think that um, you know I, I think it's you know it's about time that somebody. Um, that somebody or some bodies did something about these um, these almost near criminal acts of shorting these businesses. Now, shorting a stock is perfectly natural and healthy and normal in the stock market exchange. However, when you short a stock, um, when you short a stock, <laughs> um, so when you short a stock, and but then go on this slam campaign, this slander campaign to drive a business into the dirt, like that should be there should be consequences against that. Like there's it's no big deal if the stock naturally falls, or if they believe that the stock is overvalued. If you look at a company and you're a hedge fund and you say this stock, this this company is trading at thirty dollars a share. Um, I've looked at the analytics and I think realistically it's actually twenty five dollars a share. Let's short this stock. And, and, and a lot of times shorting a stock will expose overvalued shares and course, you know, correct the price in the stock market. The problem is, though, is when these hedge funds short the stock and then they, um, and, and, and then they go on this slander campaign to drive this company into the dirt and businesses have failed over it and it's been, you know, it's completely unfair for these publicly traded companies 
to, for no fault of their own, go completely out of business because a hedge fund decided to tank their stocks, basically, by going on, you know, they'll shore the stock, and then they get on this media campaign, and they make their rounds around CNBC, Yahoo Finance, all these places, and they get on these shows, and they talk about how the the, the, the stock price is going to go down near to zero, then it, you know, convinces the masses to panic sell and sell everything and drive the company into the dirt. And it's not fair. And that's kind of my take on it, the short synopsis of what's, of what's kind of going on. But, um, and, I, and I feel like as this thing unfolds, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the, uh, in the future and in more detail. I spent far more time than I anticipated talking about the Small Business Administration. Um, and, and, but I have strong feelings about the Small Business Administration. I have for a long time. And, can, and, and I, it's, it's even further enforced by this year's actions of the Small Business Administration, um, which is um, just about criminal. And honestly, I think that people should go to jail over what happened with the economic injury disaster loan situation um and the like it it just it it was it it was a complete it was a complete failure and and utter like it was just it was terrible the whole thing played out very terribly and um and i'm and i'm not a fan of what happened i think the uh the um head administrators of the small business administration should be at the very least fired and in some cases i think there should be there should be some criminal um charges brought against against these you know people because we live we live in a country we we have a society built around laws and a legal system and if we don't like it, it what's the point of creating laws and legislation if if administrations, whether it be, or, or entities, whether it be government or not, just completely disregard these laws. There's, there's no, there's, if there's no consequences, then, then there's no point in even having these laws. So anyhow, that's my take on that. Um, we got to wrap things up and, uh, I've got, uh, I've got things to do. I've got, I've got farming related things to do i gotta go um source out some more feed because there is a uh terrible shortage of feed going around right now um and uh so i'm i'm on the hunt for for some pig feed and that's what uh that's what i'm up to today i'm sure that tyler's got uh security systems to install and i'm sure that um robert has some hvac to apprentice <laughs> you can just so, say installations yeah. hvac installations he's got to he's got to apprentice with he's got to do hvac apprenticing apprenticeship type things um and then one day he'll become a jedi knight so um until then though um uh, but he has to go through the hvac trials first before he can be it's like another seven months yeah and, and then and then after you go through the hvac trials you become an hvac knight and then um eventually you'll be granted hvac master and then you might get an appointment on the hvac council correct and eventually the hvac high sure, council something like that yeah depending upon how it goes but that was a that was one <laughs> i just threw that one out there for all you nerds listening um, if you didn't get it, then you, you probably were the cool kid in school. Um, if you, if you did get it, I'm sorry that everyone else took your lunch money. Anyways, um, until the next time, we'll see you folks later. Or, well, actually, we won't see any, but you might hear our voices later. <laughs>